This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Kia ora koutou katoa, kua huhi mai nei, mō tēnei o My name is Peter Barron and I am the radio pharmacist and I'm here on OAR 105.4 FM every week. Over the next half hour, we will talk about how and why and when to use medicines and other matters concerning your health. If you missed the show or wish to listen to today's show or previous shows, these are available on podcast. I'm always happy to talk about any specific issues or questions that you have, and you can contact me at The Radio Pharmacist on Facebook or on my website at radiopharmacist.co.nz. Norida, no mai, haere mai, and let's get started. Kia ora koutou katoa, uh, this is Peter Barron, as always on a Tuesday, and I'm fortunate uh, to have my uh, younger sister Wendy, or my actually my only sister Wendy, uh, here in the studio again today. We're going to we're going to attempt to stir up a bit of controversy. Um, so kia ora Wendy, welcome back again. Uh, kia ora Peter, thank you. Nice to have you here and enjoying this last week before you head back mm-hmm. to uh, back to northern Iraq. Well, back to Iraq and then the northern part of Iraq, just to get it right. <laughs> Look, before we before we go on that, I just want to have, as always, a quick mention about um, about COVID. Um, the cases are staying stubbornly high at the moment, whilst the trend is down across the country. The trend in a, in the southern region is seems to have plateaued for some reason. Probably not surprising, given the fact that school's gone back, given the fact that we've got university back. Uh, we've moved from red to orange. But the key message is always, and this message has got to be emphasised, it's just becoming more and more and more important. As healthcare workers, I guess we're moving from being very anxious to very concerned to probably terrified what this winter's going to do in terms of influenza, in terms of measles and in terms of COVID. And what's really disappointing, and it's a trend that's being seen in Australia and elsewhere as well, is this about uh, only about 70, 75% of people have had their booster dose. If you're listening to this today and you haven't had your booster dose, then I would strongly urge you, in the strongest terms that I'm allowed to use on radio, <laughs> please go out and get that booster. You're putting yourself at risk. Don't think for a moment that uh, if you haven't had the booster, you're going to be safe from Omicron, because most likely... You are not. We need that third dose in order to protect you against Omicron. We have now some concern that we've got some other Omicron variants in the country. Whether or not they gain a foothold, it remains to be seen. But the key message is, if you haven't had your booster now, or if you're still vaccine hesitant, then become vaccine unhesitant, please. Go out and get those vaccinations. You can walk into most pharmacies, these days, the ones that are, have a COVID vaccination sign outside. So I'm going to move on to uh, I'm going to move on to uh, talk uh, about Wendy and the sort of the promo I put out for the show. I uh, called it hypocrisy, and I used that word intentionally. Uh, I'm not sure what words Wendy's going to use, but from what I gather, she's prepared. It's probably going to demonstrate the hypocrisy, the the difference in attitude. Um, I mean, we can contrast. The war in Ukraine is absolutely terrible. It's ghastly and something we hoped we'd never see. But it's it's interesting to me to see it's a, it's a European country, so countries that uh, whose borders have been closed to people from Africa, um, 
or people who from uh, who are Muslim, suddenly it's fine. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about, I mean, Australia used to have a white Australian policy. Uh, what I'm sure Wendy's going to tell you about is that it seems like they have a, a Christian-only policy. So, Wendy, I'm going to hand over to you, having having sort of set the platform for you. Go for it. And having stole some of my thunder, but that's okay. But I've got a question for you, Peter. I can't remember the last time I saw you wear a tie. I'm not too sure. Maybe in our dad's funeral, like 30-plus years ago. Um, but today you're wearing a tie, and I, don't know, I do know there's some significance. So maybe yes. you'd like to explain to the listeners okay. why you're wearing not just a tie, it's a purple and pink tie. Oh, it's a purple tie. Oh, a purple okay. tie with pink things on okay. it. The reason I'm wearing a purple tie is because probably most people in Dunedin and many people around the country remember that terrible incident at Countdown Pharmacy on the 10th of May last year. And um, so uh, one of the staff members who unfortunately was injured and attacked, um, purple is the colour, that uh, her favourite colour, so it's an acknowledgement. We were asked to all wear purple as an acknowledgement uh, of that incident uh, a year ago. It is exactly a year ago because actually it was my very first day uh, working um, as the pharmacy manager at Countdown, and it was... Uh, um, I'd gone to Invercargill. I remember people phoning me up and saying, look, are you okay? And Wendy was one of the ones that phoned <laughs> up and said, are you okay? And I'm saying, what do you mean I'm okay? Of course I'm okay. And then found out what it was. So that's the, the significance of the purple, Wendy. Great. Thank you. Well, I say it is interesting to see you wearing a tie. And I know Mum was impressed this morning. Well, she'd be probably unimpressed from here on out. <laughs> But anyhow, getting back to uh, to what we, we talked about last week was a little bit around hypocrisy and refugees and something that is very, very dear to my heart, of course. And you know, last week we talked about the Ukrainian situation. As you say, it's just such a, a horrible, horrible um, war. And we talked about a little bit of hypocrisy, not a little bit, of the, of the European countries such as Poland, who rapidly you know, granted very quick refugee status to Ukrainians, and rightly so. But, of course, we'd also the plight of those uh, Africans, Asians or Iraqis there were, or Middle Eastern people, there were uh, Caribbean people who were studying and living in Ukraine yet um, couldn't get through checkpoints to get out of the country. And if they did get through those checkpoints as they got closer to, like the Polish border, were actually refused admission. And I think this is what um, I want to bring up today is around us maybe colour blindness that uh, some of our governments seem to, to show when it comes to refugees and obviously that's uh, dictated by polls and public opinion and votes and next elections and things like that So, um, or perhaps just woeful blindness and woeful <laughs> ignorance or maybe some unconscious bias as we like to call it rather than uh, giving it a, a different name so uh, we did. you did mention around Australia and I have been doing a little bit of research in between uh, this week and, uh, last week and this week and um, you know, Australia has agreed to resettle uh, refugees from the likes of Iraq, where I'm working, and from the Syrian crisis. But, however, um, like a lot, of, well, unlike a lot of other countries, and as you alluded to, they actually favour Christians, and they even have an express, or not express, but a favoured kind of Christian um, refugee process, particularly for Iraqi uh, Christians and Yazidis, which again is great. But however, and you know, with all respect to the Christians in likes of Iraq, Syria, etc., they are a very small minority, and they actually haven't been persecuted, and they weren't affected 
any more um, than the Iraqi Sunnis, I'll say the Iraqi one because that's where my heart is, the Iraqi Sunnis or the Iraqi Shias, um, or particularly more the Sunnis, um, I'll say the Shias, get that right, the Shias who were persecuted by the Iraqi Sunnis. So, um, you know, according to Human Rights Watch in Australia, that's the case, and uh, yet there's a lot of fast-tracking of those uh, of refugees. And also Australia is also fast-tracking Ukrainian refugees, which again is great. But the cynical part of me says yes, because they are a colour, maybe closer to white Australians. <laughs> and of course they're Christians. And, uh, you know, that kind of... Um, it, it fits into the thinking of politicians and a lot of Australians that I know and I listen to but I read about as well that they think that Christians are more likely to kind of uh, integrate into Australia's Anglo-Christian kind of society as against, say, um, a Muslim or maybe someone from Asia who mm. could be a Buddhist or, or could be someone else. So, um, Well, you see, it, you see it the whole time. I mean, as you know, I've worked, lived and worked in Australia for about five years. And absolutely horrified. I mean, you'd be in a cab in, um, in Perth and you'd be talking to the driver and turn out the driver was a neurosurgeon or a cardiac surgeon or a very well-qualified engineer uh, and not able to, not able to get uh, to practice in, uh, in Australia. Because, uh, and New Zealand, unfortunately, mm-hmm. is about as xenophobic when it comes, to, it comes to health professionals. We have this view that if you weren't trained in the, uh, weren't trained in the, the English system, then you're not acceptable. But what people forget is the English system, he says, putting uh, exclamation marks around it, is what uh, most people in Iran and Iraq were, were actually trained in. Um, and we forget that, that you know, countries, the, the Middle East, is the cradle of our civilization. It, it led to most of our medical breakthroughs. It led to most of our understanding of mathematics and physics, etc., um, yeah, I recommend if you ever go to Dubai, not you, because I know you go to Dubai very frequently. Go to the uh, go to the Dubai Museum. I think it's at Dubai Creek, and you see villages and relics and that that are five thousand year old. It makes sort of our significance. I mean, we talk about um, yeah, we talk about we forget about the fact that in Europe, in the so-called Middle Ages, we were burning people at the stake only three or four hundred years ago because we thought they were witches, etc. And that's, that's our antecedents. Mm. So I've stolen a bit of your thunder there. No, that's go okay. I was actually just talking about Dubai. Um, if anyone ever gets to the UAE, go to Sharjah because there is a fantastic um, museum called the Museum of Islam Civilization. And it's exactly what you're talking about. I went there uh, in March over the now Ross, the New Year period. And uh, I knew a lot about, because you and I have talked about uh, pharmacy and things like that, and we've watched some programs around mass. But um, what they developed, and they've got, you know, just displays of it, was absolutely fantastic. So um, it is a really, really, so this is in Sharjah, which is the uh, Emirate right next to Dubai. It's about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes from uh, Dubai Airport. So if anyone's ever, if you are interested, and just backing up what you're saying about, you know, the Middle East being the cradle of civilization and being, you know, the inventors and the developers, and it was just, um, yeah, just absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, what they had developed over the years and all that. So, yes. Okay, so um, the other bit I want to really was talking about is our own response here in New Zealand because I think that um, we need to question that as well a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic that uh, our response was, and a very quick response, I must say, uh, to the Ukrainian war was to offer 
I think, 4,000 um, visas to uh, family members of Ukrainians who live in New Zealand, and that, that is absolutely fantastic. And it shows that we know we're very compassionate, and it shows that we can, our governments can act quite quickly. However, I just want to kind of, I did some, some figures. And um, at the 2018 census, there were 1,281 Ukrainians living in New Zealand. Now, there were 1,635 Ethiopians. And I'm sure if anyone's been watching TV over the last couple of years, um, they would have been uh, looking at what's been happening in Ethiopia, a massive um, human crisis there with the Tigray conflict. There's something like uh, half a million people have died. I'm not saying directly from uh, guns and that, but from famine, from hunger, from poverty, from disease, etc., which have been caused or exacerbated by the, um, the conflict. Two million people are refugees or have been forcibly displaced. A lot of them have gone across the border into countries like uh, South Sudan and Sudan and all that. So my question is, did we offer to those Ethiopians who live in New Zealand the chance for them to have their family members come out and things like that? You know um, I've lived in Afghanistan and worked in Afghanistan for five and a half years and uh, I watched in horror, and I know you did, we all did, um, last year when the Taliban overran the country and, uh, you know, what the displacement that that caused and, and, you know, ordinary Afghans trying to get out of the country. Now, some of those were uh, people who had worked for New Zealand government on projects They'd assisted them in different ways, not just being translators. They'd worked with the New Zealand military and all that. And we've got all the horror stories of the difficulties of those people trying to be, or they're having families. Um, I looked that up as well. There's around 2,600 families, I think. I might be wrong on that. Iraqis living in New Zealand. So again, a little bit higher. Iraq figure. or Afghanistan? Afghani. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Afghanis. <laughs> Afghanis. Yeah. Sorry. I, I want to get back to Iraq. It's 2,600 in, in Iraq. But uh, yeah, sorry. I'm getting myself confused there. I'm not sure. Okay. The government offered a nine-day window for what they called the critical purpose visa, which was for those people who had assisted New Zealand and particularly also human rights defenders, particularly women. For nine days in August, that's all they got offered. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't offer the same kind of reunification, family reunification um, visa support as we did for the Ukrainians. And to say, please, listeners, I am not belittling Ukrainians at all or this war. It is, it, I mean, any war, any conflict is awful and all that. I also see, and I know the Afghans in this country and, and also in Afghanistan were horrified by the fact that the second vice president of Afghanistan at the time. Now, he is a Hassara, and we're going to say that. Hassara minority are hunted by the Taliban, and they've tried in 1990, when they were in power in 1991 uh, to you know, exterminate them. They're trying again, as we have seen lately, of Shia mosques being blown up on Fridays when a lot of those are Hassaras. Now, he was the second vice president, and in, this is in August, and by December, him and his 13 family members are in MIQ in Auckland and have been offered safe haven to New Zealand. So um, this is where I get a little bit upset and angry, and, and you know, we have a very personal story, or I have a very personal story. You want me to share with the listeners? Yeah, look, you're going to talk about Mossad. Yeah, Mossad, yeah. Share, because, I mean, I see his, I see his messages and I yeah. see his despair. 
just to give you a little background, he uh, worked for me when I was uh, uh, my first uh, organisation in, in Afghanistan. Uh, he came on as a security guard and uh, then I left and I moved to another organisation and uh, we had to close the first organisation down so they all lost their jobs, um, although we were able to, to give some good uh, financial settlements for them. Um, and when I arrived back in Afghanistan, uh, he came to my new organisation and he said, we haven't eaten for three days. He'd lost about, he was already skinny. He looked like someone out of a concentration camp and uh, hadn't been able to find a job. Now, I, offered, I gave him a job as a cleaner uh, in my house because I, I had to pay for that and, and uh, gave him some money so he could go and get his children. He was supporting, when he was working, he was supporting 17 of his family. And, uh, and later on, he got his, on his own merit a job as a security person with the organisation. And um, I, when I left Afghanistan, I continued to support them because I'd lo they'd lost that income, that family, uh, from my cleaning, and, and uh, I'd been supporting them. But in August, uh, his brother-in-law was stalked by the Taliban and killed because he, would, uh, was, part, he was a member of the Afghan army. And uh, not so long ago, uh, he advised us that his nephew was also killed by the Taliban because he wouldn't give away where Masoud was hiding. He had shifted about houses about three or four times and things like that. Now, these are the families. They don't have family. They're un relatively uneducated, unskilled. And, you know, these are the people that actually need to be given visas, need to be given a new life somewhere. But uh, because they don't fill any criteria, don't have any family, um, and all that. So it's, um, yeah, it's quite heartbreaking in a way, but as I, say, I just wished that we would look at uh, our refugee situation a little bit more in lights of, yes, I, I understand about people having to integrate and being able to integrate, and if you haven't got a good English or uh, just a, a bit of English, um, you're maybe a religion that has got a bad reputation um, but like everything, it's just a minority. And, the, you know, the most of the Muslims uh, are just as sick of seeing what their minority, um, you know, commit and things like that. And they certainly don't agree with that. So, um, yeah, and I've just got one bit more if you're wanting to have a break. <laughs> well, I was just going to say about Mossad. I mean, I... Um I know you still support him, support him regularly because yeah. I send the money for you for him. <laughs> and I mean, uh, and Ramadan's just finished and I've just come out to Eid, which is at the end of Ramadan. Um, and he sent me a message back saying that he hadn't been able to celebrate uh, Eid this year. And he didn't say why, but we deduced that very quickly because he simply didn't have any money. We had actually sent, well, Wendy had sent him some money, but because it was a uh, holidays, the Western Union was closed. So, I mean, that's just the reality. That's a personal story there. Um, just carry on, Wendy. We don't need to go for a break. We can just carry on. This is, this is too I important. I, I haven't really got much else. I, I'm just kind of giving you some examples. And the last one is around the Rohingya uh, from Myanmar or Burma, who it depends which one you want to call it. If you're, you know, having a protest against the, um, the current regime, you'll call it Burma, but it's, it's been called Myanmar. Um, a lot of people will have seen that on TV. It's, it's again, it's a, a long-running crisis. It's something like it's the world's biggest refugee camp, I think, still. 745,000 refugees um, displaced from Myanmar uh, into Bangladesh into a strip, of, a strip of land called Cox's Bazaar. You know, again, there's 2,000 Burmese living uh, in New Zealand. 
are we offering them the same kind of um, family reunification uh, situation as we have offered, um, you know, the Ukraine? So, I mean, New Zealand has such a low number of refugee places a year. I think it's something like 1,500. It was only 750. And I think this current government doubled it to 1,500 a year. And last year, hardly anyone obviously came to New Zealand because um, of COVID or the last two years. Um, you would think that they might like to double or use that allocation that hasn't been used to, to offer it to more. But I think um, these are just a few examples. I mean, I could go on about Iraq. I could, could talk about Yemen. I could talk about Syria. I could talk about Mali. I could talk about lots of other crises where there are people living in New Zealand who have families. And I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's what probably hurts these refugees, if we all know... Uh, a lot of refugees have been in camps for 10, 11, 12 years. I mean, in Iraq, the Syrians have been there since 2011, uh, still with no hope of going back um, to Syria. So, um, you know, it's a long list. And it's, why are we so selective? You know, is it, dare I say, is it because of colour and religion or colour or religion or whatever? Um, so I just throw that out for people and I often get the thing about you know charity begins at home yes I agree about things like that and we have a we have a situation in New Zealand where poverty is growing and homelessness is growing and and there is a whole lot of social inequity but we also are part of that problem we're part of the global situ you know situation we're part of the global world we have gone and fought in these wars, in these crises, as New Zealanders, as a New Zealand military. They've been in Iraq. They've been in Syria. They've been everywhere in some form or other. They're now supporting Ukraine um, with some dispatchment of our military forces. So it's not like we can completely divorce ourselves and say, well, it's someone else's problem. It's on the other side of the world or whatever because we are all interlinked and we're all part of this globe. So yeah, look, there's I, my go. <laughs> I, I agree absolutely with you. And I think one of the things that I think a very relevant point that you're making is that we're part of the international community. Um, that's the, the, it's a very specious argument to say charity begins at home. Yes, charity does begin at home, but that's not to say that we're, we're not charitable to other people. Mm. Uh, and I see, these, I see these in a sense in two, uh, in two totally separate baskets. There's no justification um, and call it institutional bias, uh, call it racism. I mean, it's a, uh, although uh, in New Zealand, uh, certainly with the Treaty of Waitangi and uh, issues like co-governance, etc., we are making some progress. We're not making progress in terms, if you look at the incarceration rates um, for Māori, you look at the uh, Māori and Pacifica, you look at uh, the health disparities, the... the We've, we are making some progress, but we're not making enough progress. But this is not an either-or type thing. Uh, we can have our own domestic programs, and we should have those domestic programs. But as, as citizens of the world and as international citizens, it's my strong view that we have a, we have a responsibility to do something in parallel with that. And I think probably the, one of the key things is the fact that whenever we welcome people in... I, um, you know, you've got a saying on the bottom of your email, Wendy, about Albert Einstein. Tell us about that for a moment. Oh, it says um, a refugee doesn't just bring a oh, I've got now a bag of oh, 
belongings. I, Sorry, I forgot. Yeah, well, a <laughs> refugee. Yeah, something, like something, that, like something like that. Albert Einstein was a refugee. Yes, something like a, a refugee doesn't just um, yeah just bring in their bag. You know. A, bag of belongings that it says Albert Einstein was a refugee and if people were to do some research you would find a lot of famous people were refugees or are refugees, have mm. been refugees I mean uh, we, we, we need to we quite literally as a society where we've, we've got an employment situation we need to be welcoming people with all sorts of skills, we need to lower the barriers, we need to stop the xenophobia um, I remember when I was one of my other strings is that I have a qualification as teaching English as a second language and the people that I was working with were Filipino nurses and yeah, Filipino nurses, Filipino health professionals English is the language they're actually taught in uh, yet here they're having to jump through hoops and uh, pass IELTS uh, which is the International English Examination and uh, at a level that I promise you, I'm. I think I'm fairly articulate. I think I'm fairly well read. I think I understand the English language. But the first time I took an IELTS test, I failed. Um, and why did I fail? Because the the questions that were asked were just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I went back and read one of the research papers. I'm used to reading research papers, and um, I was just absolutely puzzled. And what it seemed to me very clear was that uh, these barriers were being raised to keep people out, not to let them in. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be, um, that people, of course, need to be competent. Um, But the reality is that um, at official levels in New Zealand, there is still a huge amount of xenophobia. Uh, And if I was being really cynical, I'd say it's just about patch protection. So, Wendy, we have gone a bit over time. We haven't had any music, so we're not going to this because this was really interesting stuff. Um, I'm going to have a talk to you, see if we can get you back again next week because you're here for another week. Cause, we'll see. Um, look, it's, it's, I hope it's good. I hope it's good radio. <laughs> uh, I hope the uh, telephone lines aren't melting to hear. Um, but as you, you're free to contact me, you can get in contact with, with me through my uh, Radio Pharmacist website. So, folks, look, we're out of time. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope that uh, we've uh, we've got some keen listeners out there. If you're not keen listeners, I hope we haven't made your your lunch uh, too uncomfortable for you. Uh, but we're certainly not afraid to sort of confront the issues head on. So if you do need to, if you'd like to listen to what we've said or if you'd like to tell your friends about it, um, you can do that. They can either pick up uh, today's show as a podcast at oar.org.nz or go to my website, The Radio Pharmacist, uh, click on the podcasts, type in Radio Pharmacist and select the show that you want to listen to. So folks, look, uh, we're out of time. Thank you for uh, listening today. And uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. No reda, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Well, folks, all good things must come to an end, and we are out of time for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope that you've found today's kōrero useful. If you have a question for me or a subject you would like me to discuss on the show, please message me on the Radio Pharmacist on Facebook or at my website at radiopharmacist.co.nz. If you missed today's show or previous shows, they're available on podcast at oar.org.nz. This is Peter Barron, the Radio Pharmacist, signing off OAR 105.4 FM for today. So until next Tuesday at noon, ka kite
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.